Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. If you would like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash theology in the raw, get access to premium content, monthly blogs and podcasts and all kinds of other goodies. Uh, Theologinraw.com forward slash theology in the raw to support the show. My guests today um, are uh, Evan Wickham and uh, Scott Kieran. Evan and I go way back. Evan, if, for those of you who are at the Theology in Raw Exiles in Babylon conference, Evan Wickham, of course, um, led worship at the conference, and he's going to lead next year and probably every other year we do an Exiles in Babylon conference because he just rocks. Um, and Evan is a pastor of Park Hill Church in San Diego. He's been there for a few years. Prior to that, he was a worship leader at, um, it was a Bridgetown, the, the, one of the churches that John Mark Homer helped start. Um, he's got a master's degree from Western Seminary, and I believe Scott also has a Western uh, a master's degree from Western Seminary. I'm, I'm having I'm having Evan and Scott on the show to talk about something really sensitive. Um, over a year ago, it was found out that Scott, w- while preaching, he wasn't formally a pastor, but Scott um, was um, doing leadership type stuff at the church, preaching on Sunday several times. Um, he ended up having a sexual relationship to somebody he wasn't married to. And I'll let him explain the details of that. But, uh, you know, while being on leadership, he was violating the standard of living according to the church. And I remember walking with Evan through this cause he came, Scott came to Evan confessed, um, and Evan and I talked to you over a year ago, you know, like, man, how, how do we navigate this in a way that's well, in a way that takes sin seriously and also takes grace and restoration and confession seriously? And how do we involve the body? Um, on what level do we involve the body of Christ in this process? And I thought that over the last year or so, I thought they handled it extremely well. So I reached out to Evan, I think a few weeks ago and said, Hey, would you and Scott be willing to come on the podcast and just talk through this, both from a pastoral perspective and the one who um, committed the moral, uh, the more uh, had a moral failing uh, as a leader. Um, and they said, yeah, so I'm super excited about this conversation. I'm, I'm extra excited that Scott's being willing to open up and being really vulnerable, um, with how this whole process went. So, um, I hope this podcast, this conversation will help, especially church leaders who are constantly dealing with, um, uh, issues like this or related to this. Like what does, what does truth look like? What does grace look like? How do we navigate this well? So please welcome, uh, back to the show for, I think the third or fourth time, Evan Wakeham. And for the first time. I'm Scott Kieran. All right, hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Theology and Raw. I'm here with uh, my uh, very good friend, Evan Wickham, and my new friend, uh, Scott Curran. Uh, I think we may have met in passing a few years ago, Scott. Um, Evan and I go way back. Um, thank you guys so much for coming on the podcast. You know, this. I mean this this is a this is a, a vulnerable, sensitive uh thing we're gonna enter into. So first of all, I wanna thank both of you and especially Scott for being willing to really open yourself up and um talk about something that I don't know if I've ever heard of. I know I've never had a conversation like this before on the podcast. I don't think I've come across one before, not that it doesn't exist, but um I've already, you know, talked to just very briefly in the intro kind of what we're gonna talk about, but uh I wanna hear from you guys evan what you want to start us off to start yeah. would love to hear uh, you unpack the story and then i'm sure i have lots of questions about how did you you know think through the best way to navigate this 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thanks, Preston and Scott, for just want to have this conversation. I, yeah, feel free to interject anytime, Preston. Okay. You're really good at kind of mining out. <laughs> yeah. And, and bring, bringing me back off rambling rabbit trails. But like, I, because I, we haven't talked about this publicly, except for within our own church. And it's really, you know, in an age of, I don't mean to pit it, pit our church against any others. That's not my heart, but in an age of, um, a desire for increased accountability, um, we just wanted to commit to that in this way as leaders. It's, it's easy to minimize and cover up and just keep blazing forward. When you see, when you see all the signs of a church that's healthy, you don't want to mess that up. Even when there's sin, you want to put it under the rug when it's on the team. But like, if there's, I mean, James is pretty clear and I, and this, this, this verse comes right back on my own head as primary teacher at our church. Like, let not many of you become teachers, mm-hmm. um, because there is a there's just a stricter judgment built into the system <laughs> for those that are claiming to have a responsibility to teach the broader body of Christ the way and ethics of Jesus. Like, mm-hmm. what happens when our way and our ethics are misaligned from the message that we're claiming to invite others into? Jesus has specific words for. Yeah. the teachers of Israel, um, very choice words. Mm-hmm. So like, how do we apply those choice words to us rather than having to have, you know, exposés done by outside parties, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean, Scott, I don't, you could tell whatever part of your own story, but it's just been beautiful, Scott, uh, just, just to watch you, um, just come under the authority of Jesus and come out the other side, like fully restored. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to start the story, um, I don't know if you want to start telling your own story. Yeah. I mean, uh, so this was probably um, just at the end of 2020 going into 2021 um, in a new relationship and um, with a woman, with a woman. Yeah. And, and uh, ending up, having sex with someone that I'm not married to as a leader in church. Um, and going through that process, it was a lot of, um, like you go through so many things, especially I think as someone who was an embedded church planter at Park Hill, um, hoping like preaching semi-regularly and hoping to plant a church one day. And so, uh, yeah, just through all of that, starting to think through, like, what is my responsibility? And what Evan just said, like, the the heavy weight and responsibility that teachers carry. Um, and I think a lot of that, too, with, with stories of leaders who um, had tried to, to cover up and things like that, just so many stories were coming out, I think, in, in the news. And, and in one sense, it started to make me think, too, like, what kind of person and what kind of follower of Jesus do I want to be? Mm-hmm. Um, because the temptation is, it was there, like obviously to be like, okay, like, you know, this was just a, a, a one-time thing. I could, uh, you know, I'll be better. I like, I don't need to share anything. I'll just be better and I'll keep moving on. Um, but then I just really felt like the spirit was, was, actively convicting me, um, basically just felt like constantly I was hearing that, uh, like who, like what kind of person do you want to be? Um, Mm. and a lot of it was, was a, are you willing to give up, uh, 
like the control that you think you have in this situation uh, to allow me to work in this. Um, and especially just with all that unknown, it, it was a ton of just wrestling through like, I'm a big perception guy. So like a lot of, how is this going to be perceived and, and using that sometimes you can use it as, as an excuse. Um, and I just felt the spirit cutting through like every instinct that I normally have to, to be like, you need to, uh, share this with your team. You need to share this with your church. Um, and so I ended up, uh, confessing to Evan, um, and just basically saying like the spirit has convicted me of this. Um, and, I'm now going to submit myself to uh, this church and this family that I trust uh, and mm -hmm. allow the spirit to work between us to, to bring out whatever he wants to bring out of this situation. So that was kind of how, how the story went. So Evan, he comes to you and confesses, which, what's your, go back to that moment. Um, how did you feel? React yeah. thoughts? Yeah, we were sitting about 15 feet away on our, on my deck and, and he just, he just poured out his heart and said that he'd been um, in a sexual relationship with a woman he's not married to. Uh, consensual. As a we need, we need to he, really add that this is 100% consensual, right? And they're not even like a power 100%. dynamic or nothing. Yeah. And you're not married to her. I'm just to jump to the, yeah. Yes. Yeah, to jump yeah. to the end. Like I, as, as, as one of his leaders and brothers in Jesus, like I got to stand in his in his wedding during his year of restoration. <laughs> so it, like he, yeah. he had, what was that? Oh, and it, it wasn't adultery. It wasn't somebody else's wife or something like this is, you know, no, no, I'm not, I don't, right, I'm not trying right, to downplay. Exactly. I just want to get clarity on what kind of sexual. Sin so we're good. Talking about. Yeah. yeah. That's very yeah. important. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but yeah, so he, he just says, Hey, I, and, and he had just finished, <laughs> he had just finished at, we were in a first Corinthians series and he just <laughs> finished teaching on both, First Corinthians five, he taught on chapter five, which is dealing wow. with sexual sin in the church. Mm -hmm. And then chapter seven, which is, and, and the title I think of your sermon was sexual faithfulness amid singleness. <laughs> and oh so there's like this, there's yeah. like this alignment moment <laughs> mm -hmm. where, um, we, we just, we just had to, as a whole elder team own this together. And I got counsel from you, Preston. Um, you, you spoke into this a little bit and with tons of wisdom, like, counseled us not to make anyone the hero other than Jesus, not to make anyone um, glorify, no flesh glorifying in the presence of Jesus. Because there's a way to confess that I think is yeah. wrong. Like, and it's not really a confession. It's more like a, almost like a narcissistic vortex where you can suck people into your own pity party and mm -hmm. um, kind of reaffirm the, the self-aggrandizing system that put you there and and, and, and then block accusations because you already said sorry or whatever. And we didn't want any of that to happen. Um, but we needed wisdom to do it because I've never really seen it done because I've never been leading a church before three, four or five years ago. So, mm -hmm. so you and other guys, Dr. Bashir's and a um, friend of ours, Todd Proctor, just a really spiritual fathers in the faith and mothers both because yeah. it takes a whole family. Um, and so we just kind of put together a Sunday immediately after he confessed. We're like, this next Sunday, we're going to take this to the church if you're willing, Scott. It, and, and we brought in his girlfriend at the time and we're like, we want to protect you. Like, this is not about like platforming you. Uh, I'm not, we're not going to say your name. Um, um, and, 
this is about Scott. He's in leadership. It's about all of us. It's about the whole church pursuing Jesus together. Um, and so we invited Scott to like put together a 500 word statement. Um, you know, it's interesting saying I'm sorry in front of a crowd can also be kind of manipulative <laughs> because what do you mean? Please forgive me in front of a saying, I'm sorry, please forgive me. We were encouraged not to do that publicly Why? because, yeah. because when you say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. You're putting the onus of you're putting the onus on back on the crowd back on the church rather than continuing to take ownership as the leader. Like I'm wrong. I did this and here's how I'm going to own it. I'm submitting to the leadership of this church and I'm here for the long haul and I'm not going anywhere period. Mm -hmm. Like please forgive me immediately shifts the onus and now it kind of elicits a response that can be, premature or manufactured. Interesting. Um, I've never thought about it like that. Like, uh, like you're saying it's wise to give space. Like you shouldn't demand in that moment, totally caught off guard. The congregation has to immediately say, yes, we forgive you without having space to process it. Even yeah. though, I mean, mm -hmm. forgiveness is if somebody's confessing and repenting from a sin, if you're a Christian, you need to forgive. Right. That's, um, correct. Mm -hmm. hmm, correct. That's interesting. Wow. Correct. But yeah, for for us at the time, it just felt like, man, you know, I don't know if you've read the book, 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership, but the whole, the whole model of that book, there's a simple line drawn across the middle of the page. Are you leading from above the line or below the line? <laughs> and the moment you know you're leading from above the line is when you can honestly say, how do I take 100% responsibility for the situation I'm in? Mm -hmm. Even if you feel like, you know, you feel untrusted, you feel like, you know, whatever, like, no, how do I take 100% ownership? And for a leader who has taught, here's the sexual ethic of Jesus, and then lived opposed to the ethic they just taught. Mm -hmm. That's a moment of like, how do I take ownership in this moment? We can talk about forgiveness maybe next week. <laughs> but like right now, okay. when we introduce the leader's um, direct conscious um, choice to live in opposition to the teaching they just tried to give to the church. Mm -hmm. um, so in that moment, like, well, I'm not asking for forgiveness right now. I'm saying I yeah. wronged God. Mm -hmm. I wronged you. I wronged my own words. Like, what is that? Confessing. And I'm repenting. submitted to whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, and, and Scott just embraced, you embrace that. Uh, and you can actually go back to the podcast and listen to it from back. Oh, in it's on the podcast. It's on. Oh, right, the sermon. Um, yeah. Scott, well, it's it's on, it's on it's on the church. Yeah, yeah on our YouTube because we were uh, yeah because we, we live streamed it. it. Yeah, exactly. Scott, can you? I, I just have to ask: when you're preparing and preaching mm -hmm. those messages, what's going on in your heart? I mean, was it calloused over, or were you just like feeling miserable Sunday morning preaching that message, or? Well, the, so the interesting thing was, um, the, the relationship itself with my wife at the time, um, kind of, it, it was born out of COVID. She was your girlfriend um, at the time. Girlfriend at the time. My girlfriend at the time. Yeah. Sorry. My wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, we actually met, um, online. I felt like this was the, the really conflicting thing. So when I preached those messages, I wasn't dating anyone. I was like, 
talking to people, open to the idea of dating and everything like that. And um, was like, I know God's called me to, to be a husband and a father. This is one of those things that I just like, I love embracing my singleness and teaching people how to be faithful and single. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that just felt like those were just an outflowing of how I was feeling and experiencing the way of Jesus. Um, and then started to date. And I thought I was going through just like all these processes, like, like, Oh, sexual sin is not, uh, this dominant theme in my life. It's not something that's been like this big struggle. I feel like I have worked through that, like self-discipline and I'm Mm -hmm. just really doing well. Um, and was also trying to figure out as a leader in a church and preaching and all that kind of stuff, like how do I navigate a dating relationship Mm -hmm. in that too? And so we met, um, actually through Bumble, like online dating, um, because I thought it'd be great to meet someone that wasn't at our church listening to teachings and having, I remember very distinctly uh, being at Western Seminary in some of my first classes um, and one of the professors talking about how a lot of pastors don't recognize any kind of authority over uh, people that go to their church. And that can be like a pathway into abuse is when you neglect to see that uh, difference. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to intentionally be thinking about these things while I'm going into a dating relationship. And then with COVID, uh, we ended up spending so much time together and, um, there was just an intensity to our relationship that I thought (laughs) I was, uh, like I'm better than this kind Mm -hmm. of thing. And, and so it was more of a, you preached it, you think you've been living it. And in this, opportunity was where I realized I'm not better than what I thought I was. Um, and I had to admit where, uh, there were areas of unfaithfulness to Jesus in my life that, um, that led to this situation and being able to, like, it was more of a getting confronted with that. Um, like the, the, it was a humbling moment by the spirit to be like, you thought you were doing really great, but you weren't actually, um, tested in this area. And so I think that that was, uh, something that revealed deep inside of me an inconsistency that I was unaware of. Um, and so the preaching, it brought that to light. Uh, and so, yeah, I preached before the, all that happened and it was more of the spirit kind of really pressing into that and being like, you okay. were not as faithful as you thought you were. Right. Mm-hmm. And that Sunday morning yeah. when you confessed, was that a miserable morning for you or was it a Weirdly, weirdly exciting and freeing or it was a, a slightly terrifying and also freeing experience. Um, I think I can only obviously speak to my experience, um, alongside the leadership with it, not necessarily from the organizational aspect of it. Um, but the Park Hill team, the leadership, um, has created such a place even just for myself of safety and that really bred in me the willingness to to confess to know that i had a safe team that loved me that cared for me that wanted the best for me mm-hmm. um knowing that i would be still be submitting myself to um what that process of restoration would look like um mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. making sure that i wasn't dictating any terms of, of my process of of restoration and so this was one of those things that um, was brought before me and they gave me the opportunity. You can do this or you don't have to do this. Um, and, 
but I, I knew that this was part of that process, the mm. spirit asking me to like give up control. Like, are you willing to, to do this work? And so going into the confession, um, was the terrifying aspect of like, I'm putting my life on display, like the, yeah. the really ugly parts of my life, um, that I would prefer to, to keep hidden. I'm putting that on display in front of a good chunk of people. Um, yeah. and so that was where like nerves came in. And the mo I just remember the moment that I, that I confessed, um, in front of the church, um, there was just like a huge breath of fresh air. I felt like the pressure on my chest was completely released and talking to people after there was no like shame of like, I didn't want to go up to people yeah. or anything like okay. that. It just felt like it is there. It's been brought to light and, um, I can yeah. receive whatever the spirit wants to do in <laughs> even just in that gathering right there. It was, it was a remarkable Sunday. Um, Preston, uh, we happened to, again, we were still in first Corinthians and we happened to be in chapter 12 and Aaliyah, uh, our pat, one of our pastors, she, she preached on, you know, if one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. <laughs> so, wow. you know, yeah, I can't say to the hand or whatever. I don't have, we need every single cell of the body of Christ in our life. And, and so she ended her sermon. Um, she was already planning to do this ending on, you know, weeping with those who weep, rejoicing with those who rejoice, mm -hmm. coming around the places of pain. And, and I, and I got a, So after she finished, I got up and I said, Hey church, we have an opportunity to do just this. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes, there's weeping and pain amongst leadership um, for wounds that we afflict on ourselves through um, inconsistency with Christ and and sin. And we, we we're processing this right now, this week, church. And uh, and I, I'd love to invite you all into this. And so Scott is going to come up and just share with you his journey. And he did just what he said, 500 word confession. And then afterwards, uh, I was encouraged to do this by, by you and, and others, other mentors. I grabbed the mic and I gave, I, I said three things. Number one, church, what you just experienced Scott do, total integration, confessing the truth, aligning with Christ again. What you just experienced Scott do is radically brave. Bravery. We applaud his spirit led bravery. And, and two, um, I call you church in the name of Jesus not to gossip. Mm -hmm. The information you were given is all the information we need and not to gossip, but to be the community of Jesus that says, neither do I condemn you go and sin no more. Be that community, follow Jesus. In that. And then number three, this isn't just about Scott. This is about all of us. Like let's all follow Jesus into full integration. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and almost like befriending our shame and, and saying, Lord, you're a friend of, of the shameful. You're a friend of the sinners. Let's all bring our shame to Jesus, all bring our sin to Jesus together. And that day, Preston, we had uh, one of our community leaders and, and about a dozen other people that are core parts of the church. But for sure, one of them was an active leader of a community group, came forward and said, uh, I just had sex with someone that I'm not married to last night, you know, and I want to come under the authority of the elders. I want to be healed. I want to be cleansed. Just like Scott did, I'm here. I'm here for whatever Jesus wants with me. I resigned from my volunteer leadership, pastoral level, whatever, and I just want to heal. 
Wow. And it was like a, a floodgate, a floodgate of, of integration. Like the church was being integrated, un, united with Jesus again. And, and you um, see like 12 other people, all sexual sins or just other stuff or? Um, we didn't interview everybody, but there was, there was a good group of people that came forward to just speak in confidentiality to pastors about things wow. in response to that call. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know one of them was like a trusted leader. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus just really loves his church. Did you have and the other any... thing too? Uh, oh, uh, just that that Evan made clear as well um, that <laughs> for our church, the the confessing in front on a Sunday morning yes. was not for everyone yeah. at the church, <laughs> not even question, for the yeah. trusted leaders and stuff. Um, it was for me specifically because I was teaching from the front on these yeah. things that it was my responsibility uh, to confess that I was So wasn't you weren't going to drag everybody up front and make <laughs> no, 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 no. No. No, no. <laughs> no yeah, you teach you teach if you, you teach a whole church to live a certain way and then you live the opposite way, you should yes. own it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So did did you um Evan, you and the elders wrestle with whether to do it that way or um yeah, how, how to go about did, or were you pretty clear like hey, we need to let the whole church know about this because he's a, he's in front of the church. It was that, was that pretty much like, we know that that needs to happen on some level. We'll work out the details of what that looks like. Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty much it. Like your, your, your realm of responsibility deserves clarity on where you shirk that responsibility. Mm-hmm. And so it's that James three, um, let not many of you become teachers thing like this. Ter- this both inspires and sobers me, yeah. you know, yeah. like where I'm misaligned. If that, that would be tragic if I was misaligned and I and I led a leader through alignment like this. That's ultimate hypocrisy. Woe to me, um, Jesus says. Yeah. Um, so. So, yeah, it, it was it was unanimous amongst amongst the elders. We had eight, eight folks sitting around a table praying and weeping. There were tears, tears. Um, you know, it was, it was still kind of the tail end of the peak of COVID. People were uncertain. People were fighting, freshly fighting about politics and, you know, the Capitol riots just happened or whatever. It was just a bad time. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, and so we're addressing all the bigger picture stuff and masks, no mask vaccine, that's all. And then, you know what, there's actually an issue right in the middle of our leadership team that we're going to focus on and bring the church into and really, it was a year of restoration. Like we just celebrated, mm-hmm. like a month ago, mission yeah. complete, Scott. Like you're faithful. Like mm-hmm. you, mm-hmm. you, um, you did the thing that is rarely done. I don't know how many church planters. He's going to plant a church, and it's going to be amazing in a couple of years. It's going to be incredible. His story of, of righteousness and faithfulness and truth, mm-hmm. and integration and alignment. Uh, is going to bode well for his, the health of his church mm-hmm. and his marriage. Um, and cause this year we just, we just had him, you know, after a year of kind of laying low, we, we, we changed his title from embedded church planner to administrative kind of guy, assistant to the administrators. And, and, um, all his public facing responsibility was, was, was removed for that year. And that was just part of the deal. Um, and hard, like I don't want to tell, yeah, I don't need to tell you how hard it was. Yeah, but um, from a, from a, from our perspective as leaders, like he's in my community group. Like we mm-hmm. <laughs> through this whole year, we'd still like 
hang out with wine and games and Bible every Tuesday night Mm -hmm. (laughs) still. Um, so we didn't, we didn't like push him out or away. He actually came in closer. Like, how are you? Are you okay? And I think that's probably the keyest, most important part. Like this wasn't like a pushing out. Mm -hmm. This was a falling in, um, an embrace of his then girlfriend and then fiance and then wife, like Mm -hmm. protecting her, her, her existence in our church. Um, yeah. always checking, Hey, are you feeling like emotionally safe? Yeah. Um, and she would sometimes say, you know, it's kind of a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, and we'd be like, yeah. Evan, I'm curious. I, this is a random question, but you, you've got some level of theological diversity at your church. Were, were there any, was there anybody that mm. said, what's the big deal? Like you, all right. You, it was consensual. Nobody else's spouse. You're in a committed yeah. relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, why shame him and her? Was anybody upset at the shaming of possibly her over an act that some people wouldn't even consider wrong? Like they'd be like, whatever, it was consensual. Um, did you have yeah. any of that kind of concern? Or We had a, a little bit and it was, I don't want to say surprisingly little, but it was a little. Okay. And, um, mm-hmm. and there were a couple pro, uh, kind of hyper progressive types who left the church. Okay. Um, and accused accused us of purity culture, which uh, got it. Yeah, man, that's I was what I was alive. going. That's I was, what I was. I was I, yeah, I was in youth group in the '90s. I know what purity culture was. <laughs> I'm 41. I, I I swore off kissing until the altar with my wife. <laughs> you know, like I like we met in high school, and I'm never gonna kiss till the altar because I've read Josh Harris or whatever. <laughs> I'm like, did you succeed? Did you actually not, not kiss your now wife? Heck until- no. <laughs> no, I failed miserably. We made out in as soon as as soon as we left high, but we did wait till we graduated high school, which was still whatever. Like I, the point is, purity culture is like never have sex until you're married, and a God will radically bless you with the most orgasmic enlightenment, and b you won't have to worry about giving away a piece of your soul you can never get back. Yeah, or whatever, like. Yeah. Like that, that is pure to culture. It's not what, Scott owned his own story. Yeah. Mm, That's a difference. Yeah. Um, And told it. And and we didn't, and and honestly, his girlfriend at the time was new to the church. So she did have a huge element of anonymity that was good. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great question though. We did have, you know, some folks that were, I would say hyper progressive to, you know, Mm -hmm. I hate, I hate labels, but. Yeah, yeah, they they left, um, and I think too for at least on my side of things, there was some difficulty. I think that was the hard part was especially in the midst of um, like taking a step back, um, and during this kind of a, a, like a probationary period basically, um, and working through just navigating friendships. I mean, being on the younger side. Um, of I'm like the same age as a lot of people in my church. And so a lot of these people too, that would listen to me teach and things like that were my age and also friends. And, um, some people who had a hard time with the way that things were handled were also friends. Um, and people who left the church were people that I knew. Um, Mm -hmm. and so that, that, that was the difficult thing too to navigate, at least for me personally was, um, 
trying to understand where people are coming from. Uh, I didn't grow up in like a purity culture background. Um, I didn't fully understand that. Um, and so it allowed me to at least be able to hear out a lot of friends that, that would maybe come and share concerns about like, how did Park Hill handle it? And Mm -hmm. trying to navigate people's hurt, uh, based off of my story, um, was an interesting thing. And I don't know how well I actually did in navigating that. Um, but it is interesting when, when people can use something that not, it didn't happen to me. It was something that I was a part of because I was, uh, I actively confessed. I, uh, accepted the, the things that the elders asked me to do. Um, and, so to allow, like to hear people using me as like a victim of some church hurt that, that they feel was, was really hard to navigate and yeah. trying to understand them and hear them out because obviously people have experienced um, abuse in the church 100%. and wanting to hear that out, yeah. but also very interested that people um, were also using my story as one of, as one of the excuses for it. Um, Hmm. but yeah, that was probably one of the hardest things to navigate. Wow. The, the, um, Evan, the, the, I guess for both of you, but the, the restoration process that that's always to me a fuzzy thing. Cause some people would say leader, sexual sin, you're gone for life. Others would say six months, a year or two. Like it's kind of, a lot of it's a little bit arbitrary, right? I mean, um, Mm -hmm. And maybe the level of sin, if it was, if it was like an abusive situation or something that was, I don't, know, I don't want to say, yeah. where, I mean, there were there's layers of sin involved. Maybe I don't know the right wording right. even, but like there's certain kinds of acts where like, oh my gosh, yeah, this leader should probably not be restored anytime soon. Maybe I don't know, but even that's a kind of it's kind of arbitrary. You know, yeah. did you deal with that kind of arbitrariness of what does restoration? Should restoration even ha- restoration to leadership even happen? Why? Why not? How long? What does that look like? How did you guys navigate that as an elder team? Yeah, I, it's definitely arbitrary when you look at the Bible. There's no like prescripted, you know, red, restoration process for leaders who live opposed to the teaching they call their churches to. You know, that, that's the specific thing. Yeah. Um, so we did, again, I mentioned at the beginning, we did have the the benefit of Scott not being a pastor and therefore our, to keep in step with our own bylaws, pastors, named pastors with that specific office have a, have a stricter judgment when it comes to moral failure around sexuality. Which is what? In what's, our bylaws. What's your bylaws? So, like, uh, Cause for it's a cause for immediate removal is what's written, and and the word may be cause for immediate removal is in there, um, but Scott was teaching semi regularly, maybe ten times a year, but he wasn't an identified pastor, and so that was one level we could like point to that was not arbitrary, but it was in like the legal framework of our five hundred one c three nonprofit, um, but yeah, I mean if it was you know adultery or coercion or anything like that, it would be a far different, not far, uh, probably yes, far, just multi-layered situation. A longer yeah. period of time. Um, and and I guess I'm, and maybe I'm kind of exploring yeah. this question with, with you, not at you, but like, like why? What's the, is it kind of more of, because it, it could feel, it's a fine line between like healthy restoration process versus punishment. Like, all right, two years, no leadership possibility, 
is that a punishment? Is it a slap on the wrist? Or is it you need two years to fully be restored? And even then, it's like, well, how do you one act of adultery, one act of consensual non-adultery yeah. parnea? What's the... Have, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, have you ever read this book? I'm holding it up. When Narcissism I've Comes heard of to it. Church. I've heard of it. By Chuck DeGroat. Yeah, I, I just read great. this last week on a quiet retreat. And for me personally, it it was one of the more important books I've ever read. Wow. Um, and I think I, I need to go back to therapy now. Um, <laughs> for real. No, I'm not. I'm like 100% go back to therapy to work through some stuff. Wow. What Scott did by turning his soul toward God and others, by integrating what Chuck DeGroat calls the bad boy and the good boy, befriending the bad boy with the good. Narcissists want to take the bad boy and deny he exists. Or if you're a woman, the bad girl, whatever. Um, and just deny and, and in shame, wear a mask and just live into the good boy, live into the good person. I'm good. I promise I'm under control. I promise I can do And boom, you have a narcissist. Wow. And, and, and narcissism comes undone by the power of the spirit when sons and daughters of God befriend their shame, according to Chuck DeGroat, by opening up their bad boy to God and others, opening up their bad girl and, and, um, and befriending the two, integrating it and realizing, oh, I'm broken. Of course, of course, I'm going to mess up. Of course, I'm going to confess. Of course, of course, I'm not going to hide. And in order to get there, we need to go through a crisis where we're out of control. <laughs> and so, so for, I guess that's one way of answering the question. Like for, for, for this situation, there is no biblical pattern, but there is Holy Spirit speaking through a collective right. witness of elders. Mm -hmm. And we decided one year where Scott is not in control is, is what the Spirit seems to be doing for this moment. Um, mm -hmm. So you read stories about you know, narcissistic, abusive pastors prematurely re-entering ministry. Okay. And, and yeah. it's because they're in control. They were always in control. They defined the terms six months ago. They defined the terms 12 years ago. They defined the terms 18 months ago with a bunch of elders that are like, okay, we agree with your plan. And because they were in control, they never actually exposed their bad boy. Hmm. They never integrated their bad boy and their good boy. They still are trying to be good yeah. and denying the presence of the bad by being in control of the narrative. And this is why you have the Ravis. He was the ultimate good boy, Ravi Zacharias. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Kept floating the good boy over the world. Yeah. And uh, what will it take for all of us, me included, to befriend our shame, the hard work of befriending our shame, and telling our wife when we lie yeah. and telling our church when we lie mm -hmm. about things we said to the church, when we're wrong about what we taught to the church. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, once we're there, narcissism can't bite you anymore. Hmm. And Jesus is in control. Yeah. Wow. So, Amen. so it's really, it's really, I think it comes down to control. Yeah. Yeah, and I think like throughout uh, this process too, because it wasn't just like take a step back from leadership role as well. It was it was doing deep internal work as well, like okay. going to therapy and and asking those questions of like if this wasn't um, kind of that trying for me to process too of like if this wasn't um, 
something that was like apparent throughout my life. Like what was, what caused this? Um, and to do that deep internal work of, of, um, like, what are you hiding from people? What, what perceptions are you holding? So all of that work was happening as well over this year, um, and giving updates with the elders on just like how I'm doing, what I'm learning and, and like the freedom that I'm finding through bringing all this unchecked stuff, uh, even in myself that I was unaware of, uh, to Jesus and allowing that to, um, to inform who I am, uh, as a follower of Jesus, I think, um, uh, was super important. And one of those questions that I was always asking myself too, was as like, as you can see over the internet, super easy to find just example after example of, of leaders who either were like caught or found out and Mm -hmm. reports or anything like that. In my head, I, I was asking that question of, um, there are some people to make clear, there are some people who have just a predatory aspect when it comes to church. Um, and those people do exist. Mm-hmm. Um, so then my question was how many other leaders had similar situations where they were in my spot at a young age? Mm-hmm. Um, and something like this, that feels small, like it's consensual. We love each other. We mm-hmm. were talking about getting married, all that kind of stuff. Um, and to say, okay, I messed up. It's behind us now let's move forward. Um, and to do that unchecked with a community, Mm -hmm. uh, can that be something that, that as you gain more and more influence or anything like that as a pastor, are you allowed to get away with more and more? Mm -hmm. Um, and for me, that was just the question that I was asking myself, like, could I be that case study just 20 years, uh, early, um, Mm -hmm if I go unchecked on this. And and that was, I guess, for better or for worse, that was one of those things that really helped me come forward and, mm. and confess that. Mm. Mm. Did your, your now wife, uh, how did, mm-hmm. could you summarize her experience through this whole thing? Was it a good and healthy process for her or was it, was there some really challenging times again, being somebody who's not new to the church? I mean, that's gotta be hard. And even though she wasn't put on yeah. stage at that moment, really quickly. Everybody's going to know who yeah. she is. Right. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. And that, that was in the moment, probably one of the, the hardest things, like after confessing and then being like, I, I need to go talk to her about like what's about to happen. Um, and mm-hmm. just that, that fear of, does this mean the end of our relationship? Like who would want to, who would want to go along for the ride (laughs) on, on this thing? Um, and, and reasonable too, like not even like, Oh, that's like a bad, like that makes perfect sense. Why someone in a dating relationship would not want to continue on. She didn't sign up for this. Um, and she's probably been the primary person on what it looks like as an example of like surrendering to Jesus and trusting people, um, in the way that, like Evan had said too, just, just coming into the church pretty new, um, new, a new Christian or just new to the church? No, not a new Christian, okay. just new, just new to Park Hill specifically. Um, and just a willingness to, to trust and be vulnerable to Park Hill leadership when you're that new. Um, because that is such a, it's a vulnerable thing to bring forward. And she was very willing um, to trust Jesus, to allow him to be the one in control, but then to be honest about how she felt 
in in moments of just like this is getting really tough and this is really hard and she would share that with me she'd share it with our community group um right and so she yeah even more than me where i felt like i had to wrestle through with like what are my personal feelings about these things and like how do i navigate uh whether i'm feeling hurt by the leadership team or anything like that but also not making it about uh like bashing the way that the organization's going about it and all that kind of stuff because there is such uh, a close relationship between everyone and navigating that in a healthy way. Yeah. Um, yeah. I struggled really hard with that and, and brought that to therapy many times. Okay. Um, and she gave me such a great example of wow. like how, uh, that trust can look. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. We were, we really, we yeah. were encouraged by, I don't know if you know a guy named Pete Shambrook, um, uh-uh. just a brilliant, um, brilliant, uh, pastor who, who, who is able to communicate how to restore pastors. So he, that's kind of his business is a restoration ministry. And so we, we sought his counsel as well. And that was his thing. Like you need two you need two things. If this is going to work, increased relationship and concrete restoration, Mm -hmm. not just Mm -hmm. abstract. Oh, he's restored. He's back. Right. He's all of a sudden back but concrete. So increased relationship. He, we, we pulled in his fiance and then wife into our community, into our, in the intimacy of community, like Tuesday nights, how are you? Like, this is crazy. Like, and we, and we would really protect it. It was, it was helpful that she was so new to the community because her identity was kind of protected, but people started to get to know her. And, mm-hmm. but then the concrete restoration piece, like I said, like a month or two ago, Scott, you know, uh, the first, the first thing he did was good Friday. Um, last good Friday, um, we did the seven sayings of the cross and, and Scott, he did a three minute talk on father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. And then invited everybody to take a nail, to take a nail and a piece of paper and nail their sin to a physical cross in the middle of the room. We had the chairs in a circle all around and, and he led the way he like, and everyone, the, the cross was just covered in papers with confessions and nails. And then that following Sunday, we had the restoration moment where Scott led the whole church in communion. Wow. And, and I prefaced it by just saying, if you were here a year ago, you remember the moment where this brave soul submitted to Jesus, submitted to Jesus's shepherds of this church, the elders, his under shepherds, whatever. And, and Scott's here, he's been faithful. And today he's fully restored you guys. Today he is fully back, <laughs> like, and and just making a big deal about, and the church cheering and applauding, and uh, and then him raising the bread and cup and reading this passage from Hebrews that he actually has open here. I don't know if he'll read it during this podcast, but but him reading this and um, that passage about fatherly discipline, oh yeah, um, and and how Jesus partnered with the Father uh, for the Did- joy set before him. Did you have anybody in the congregation that thought he should not have been restored to leadership? Like any pushback with him leading communion or um, being back on on stage per se or no? At zero. No. I mean, I I would have met most of the people in the congregation had sex before marriage. Probably many, several had maybe more a, right. a, a, a kind of sexual relationship with layers of sin involved, but not a consensual relationship with their girlfriend, now wife. 
Um, so I would right. imagine it would be really easy for people not to have a judgmental attitude. The biggest difference, obviously, is leadership. But in terms of the act itself, I would guess, right. in your, and I know your congregation, maybe other yeah. churches, there'd be just such rank hypocrisy that people would still be oh. a little judgy, you know, but I would, ima- I would imagine yeah, there's all kinds. Yeah. I would imagine yeah, all that kinds, uh, folks in our church that would lean progressive. And, um, and we hold that, we hold that historic core of Christian orthodoxy firmly. And, um, and yeah, God, God has really brought a beautiful LGBTQ community into our church as well. There's a, yeah. there's a bunch of folks, um, we just hired Greg Pikin yeah. as one of our pastors. He's one of the Revoice speakers, and, and and David Bennett just spoke two Sundays ago at our church. He uh, and he gave a shout out to the side B community that exists within our church, and and so on behalf of like them, on behalf of our side B brothers and sisters in our church, like who are we if we're not going to own where we misstep as straight? Bible teachers, you know, I, I would, I would do um, my audience a disservice, especially my audience. If we didn't dig into that a little bit, because you, I, um, when people ask for church models for LGBTQ Christians that are f- falling a historic sexual ethic, you're at the top of the list now, largely because mm-hmm. I mean, I would have said this a couple of years ago, just knowing you, but I've talked to the several LGBT people who go to your church and the, the way they describe it is what churches I think are, some are and many should be trying to strive for that you've managed to create a culture where openly gay lesbian trans Christians who again follow a historic sexual ethic feel extremely at home part of the family yeah people preaching you hired a pastor who's openly when I say openly gay, I mean, says he's gay, following a historic sexual yeah. ethic. Mm-hmm. And that you've created a culture that that's, that's kind of a yawner. It's like, yeah, great. You're gay. I'm straight. Let's follow Jesus together. Can you unpack this a little more? And, and I'm mainly wanting for pastors listening on or leaders to say, what does it look like? Like, how, how do you get to a place to where, cause you really do have, mm-hmm. I mean, more than most churches I know of, if I can say flourishing or a fairly vibrant LGBT group at your church that's thriving. Um. Yeah. I mean, I, I would be remiss not to, you know, maybe paint that picture in a little more realistic light where okay. I don't <laughs> overly glamorize <laughs> Yeah. No, that, I mean, it sounds actually, that is the case for many in our church. There are plenty of folks that are still uh, kind of wrestling through what they think and maybe came from more conservative backgrounds and are like, what do wait, Evan just said mixed orientation marriage from the pulpit. What does he mean by that? (laughs) And so I'll have to define terms for a lot of people, bring them on the journey slowly um, and gently. Uh, And I would love for our church to be, to feel more welcoming for trans people who seek to follow Jesus. I don't necessarily, I can't think of a person who would self-identify as trans who's in our church at this point, but I would love to see our church. But as far as LGB, absolutely. We have, um, a, a, a vibrant, small, growing community of uh, gay and lesbian folks who would either call themselves gay or some call themselves same-sex attracted, and we don't really fight about words. I'm a firm believer that words don't have meanings, but meanings have words, and we <laughs> fight for meanings, not words. Yeah. So, um, uh, so yeah, uh, we, you know, we, we'll, we'll teach on it. You know, we just finished Galatians, and 
I think, an appropriate application of Paul's problem in Galatia with the men from James who came up and tried to fight about words and circumcision. I think that maps pretty clearly on the current debate over Mm -hmm. whether people should use the word gay or like Mm -hmm. if someone who thinks they're same-sex attracted should change or if God can change that, that whole, that yeah. whole in somewhat inane, but it's very important at the same time. I think that pro- the Galatian problem maps on the American problem when it comes to sexuality. I think it maps pretty well where Paul's like, you know, um, there's one new family God is creating and these categories of straight and gay and male and female they're an important part of our bodied existence. God does not erase them. He welcomes them all to the table to become subsumed under the primary identity of beloved children of God. So what does that look like for someone who's only been attracted to people of the same sex? It looks the same. <laughs> it looks like I am a person who's attracted to the same sex and my primary identity is love child of God. And, you know, the folks that identify as gay, like I'm gay. The, the folks that say I'm gay in our church and I'm following Jesus they don't mean, none of them mean that their primary identity is gay. Right. So not policing the language has been a a big, a big way to create a culture that is hospitable and and welcoming. Yeah. 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 And, and from the front using, using the language that they use and being sensitive and answering emails, you know, one guy who is pretty conservative. I, he came from the church I grew up in. Older guy, super sweet, super bought into the vision. He said, Evan, I have a lot of problems. You just hired a gay man, and I don't know, like my whole world's turning upside down because of you. Please reconsider. <laughs> and and uh, and I'm like, let's go to coffee. And he literally had a list of 27 problems. He listed them A all the way through double A. He passed by Z. I don't know. Plus he his heart. Act- he actually listed A through double yeah. A. And, and I, I backed up and I said, hey, man, like I can't – it would probably take me all year to respond to each of these. I think a big picture is in order. And he's like, absolutely, give me a big picture. And I just said, the man we hired, uh, Greg Pikin, including myself, including my wife and all the elders, we are united on Jesus' vision for marriage. Jesus stood with Moses. Marriage is this one flesh union between two sexually opposite persons, a man and a woman, and it displays Christ's love for the church and God's ultimate plan for heaven and earth, two different interlocking spheres coming together. Mm-hmm. Um, and Greg, as a gay man, is whole bodily committed to the ethic of Jesus as a man who's primarily attracted to the same sex. That's what he means. And then he, this man at the table with me, he looked at me and said, every question of mine is answered. It was all around the lane. Everything stemmed on the language confusion. He, he, yeah, he just mm-hmm. didn't know what he didn't, he didn't know what he didn't know. He needed to be like big picture theology. Oh, marriage. Yeah. We want to get distracted on is, are we open and affirming? What about LGBTQ? No, right. it's like Jesus has a vision for marriage that is upheld by the church. Jesus stood with Moses, everyone, gay, straight, male, female, black, white, is invited into this way, this way of Jesus equally. Mm-hmm. Trans, cis, everyone is invited into this way. Everyone. And Greg is, uh, I don't yeah. know him well. I've hung out with him a few times and just a beautiful human being. Just a, just a oh gracious, yeah. godly, wise. I mean, he's like a marriage and family. Isn't he like a counselor? I mean, he's like a, a 
very totally. yeah i mean yeah that's would you say hiring like like bringing on staff that does send a really clear message is there is no glass ceiling here of anybody that's following Jesus and and following the ethic that the church believes is the most faithful to scripture um and you have yeah. i mean how many you have at least like a maybe a dozen or so same sex attracted gay and lesbian christians in the same boat or um those that would you know go to revoice and identify as side b you know, there's plenty of others that are like, what's side B? Yeah. What does this mean? What's revoice? <laughs> but, you know, mixed orientation marriages yeah. in our church, they wouldn't even call themselves that. They're right. just trying to figure out how to relate. We have that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Greg Coles, I mean, he, he's been down there and he says it's it's pretty, you know, he, and he's in lots of different churches and obviously, you know, really um, knee deep in the side B community. So he, he kind of knows kind of a good sampling of how, gay and lesbian Christians are, are, or aren't flourishing in, in traditional churches. And, um, he says it's, it's pretty, it's pretty unique what Evan's got going on, not you, but what you're, what's going on at Park Hill. Um, it's so. definitely not me. I think it's, I think it's a, 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 a specific one or two of the, of the side B gay folks that have committed to Jesus call in their lives mm-hmm. to attend on Sundays and then host hospitable spaces for dinner Okay. A couple times a month, specifically for people who um, are attracted to the same sex, identify as gay um, in whatever way, mm-hmm. and 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 these these guys specifically have just said this is not comfortable, and it was a couple of years of just desert for them. Oh, really? <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, like like, but but God seems to be honoring their faithfulness to continue opening up hospitable spaces for LGBTQ people to just hobble in weary and, and eat dinner and read anything from the Bible to the velvet rage to whatever, (laughs) read these and just like weep on each other's shoulders and say, we'll see a Sunday around the bread and cup at Park Hill, which is a predominantly straight church that, you know, is blessing what we're doing. So, um, it's definitely, definitely not me. It's, um, yeah. But yeah, having Greg on staff is is has been a gift in many ways. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, guys, I can't thank you enough for this conversation. I, my my goal in having this, I I should have said this up front, is to help maybe give a model of what I think has been a very healthy, uh, Christ-like, God-honoring way to navigate a tough situation that I know is churches haven't always handled well. Um, and obviously, as more and more is we're becoming more and more aware that in the church, the leaders, you know, don't always make the best decisions. How can we um, be Christians about going about navigating that? So thank you both for uh, being honest and vulnerable again, Scott, thank you so much for being willing to open up and talk to not just, not just the people at Park Hill, but the 20,000 people listening to the podcast. (laughs) um, Thank you for that. Really appreciate it. I hope it really does help give people a, a model of, of what this could look like in a, in a healthy way. So thank you guys. Yeah. Thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah. God bless. Yeah.